We have been in a series in the book of 1 Corinthians. We've titled this series Messy Grace. It has been a joy to kind of navigate through God's Word and particularly looking at this book, looking at how messy this church was in Corinth, uh, but then almost seeing it as a mirror, that this book is a mirror. And as we look into it, we actually see ourselves. We see how messy we are. But the beautiful thing is that God's grace covers that messiness, right? God's grace covers that messiness. And so this morning, we're actually going to wrap up chapter 10, right? So we've been in chapter 10 for a while now. Uh, Paul is addressing the issue of idolatry. We started uh, by looking at how Paul uh, talks about the sin of idolatry and how dangerous it is by referring to the Old Testament, and saying, listen, look, look what happened in the Old Testament when, when the people of God were playing with idolatry. This is what happened. And so he uses that to say, be careful. Be careful, church. Rooted Fellowship, be careful. And then last week, Kevin was here, and he unpacked how the sin of idolatry distorts. In fact, it shatters our, our understanding of the Lord's Supper our understanding of communion. It, it completely shatters it. That communion, the, the Lord's table, is meant to display the richness of the usness, the coming together of all people from all walks of life who have surrendered their lives to Jesus. That is what the Lord's table is all about. But because of the sin of idolatry, it completely distorts and shatters that. And so this morning, as we land the plane Looking at chapter 10, we're going to see how the sin of idolatry, which can be summarized as the theology of me, myself, and I, right? So when we talk about idolatry, every time I say idolatry, I want you to think the theology, the, the practice, the belief of me, myself, and I. We're going to see how the sin of idolatry can become a stumbling block to our brothers and sisters, to our family to those around us that we love, that God has called together because of the beautiful sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross. And so what I'm going to do, like I always do, is I'm going to read the text and then I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for you. I ask that you pray for me, that God would do something more powerful than we could ever imagine right here this very morning. And so if you have a Bible, you can meet me in First. Corinthians chapter 10, we'll read from verse 23 and we'll go all the way into chapter 11, but just verse 1. I'll read it, it'll be up on the screen as well. Hear these words of our Father. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your conscience, but his for why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that which I give thanks? So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Let's pray. 
Father, we are incredibly thankful for your word. We are thankful that it continues to transform the individual lives of people. And so would you do that this morning? Would you meet us where we are? Some of us have journeyed with you for a while. Some are maybe on the fence and maybe others just questioning. I ask that you would meet us where we are, that your Holy Spirit would reveal to us who you are. I pray against any distractions here this morning. And so it's to that end that I ask that you would stand in my body, think through my mind, speak through my vocal cords, those things you'd have us know, say, and do. May the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. May, it be, may they be a sweet fragrance to you. Father, we love you, we praise you, and would you show us through your word our desperate need for you. In Jesus' beautiful name we pray. Amen. Am I my brother's keeper? Am I my brother's keeper? If I was to title this message this morning, that would be it. Am I my brother's keeper? Am I? These are the words of Cain found in Genesis chapter 4, verse 9. And if you are a Christian or maybe you are familiar with the story, you would know that, that Cain had a brother. His name was Abel. And in fact, Cain killed his brother. See, he was jealous. He was jealous. They were to uh, present worship, these offerings to God. God was not pleased with Cain's, but pleased with Abel's. And so Cain was jealous and then killed his brother Abel. And so God questioned him. He questioned him. And I love it when God questions people in the Bible. When he questions us, it's not because he has no idea what's going on. He questions us because he wants you to realize where you are. He wants you to realize what's going on in your life. It's like Adam and Eve when he questioned Adam after they had sinned. And he says, Adam, where are you? It's not that God was going, I can't see you. Where, where on earth are you? It was like, no, no, no. He wanted Adam to realize that he was hiding. And so he does the same with Cain. Where is your brother? And Cain's response is, am I my brother's keeper? Am I? Am I my brother's keeper? Why should I know where he is? Am I responsible for him? See, we have a responsibility not to harm or injure the spiritual well-being and growth of another, be it a brother or a sister. The passage I just read before praying, the one we're going to look at, is lovingly warning us, lovingly warning us that when we find ourselves wanting something so bad that it interferes with our love and desire for the things of God, we are in danger. And we'd better be careful. We are in danger of awakening the jealousy of God. Paul spoke about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 22, the, the verse just before where we start this morning where he says, shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? See, we will find ourselves subject to ruthless discipline of God. We will find ourselves subject to ruthless discipline of God if we continue in this, in this practice of idolatry, the sin of idolatry, if we don't care about those who are around us. God will discipline us, and He disciplines us because He loves us. He disciplines us because He loves us, that this is an act of grace. It's an act of grace. But let me summarize 
what idolatry is. See, idolatry or any form of sin denies our commitment to Christ. It provokes and awakens the jealousy of God and it injures, hear this, and this is where we're going to go this morning, it injures our brothers and sisters who may be trying to navigate on this journey with God. See, we run the danger of that. We, we live in this culture of isolation. We tell ourselves, listen, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what I do. It doesn't matter because it's just me, right? I'm affecting only me. But that's not how God works. That's not how the body of Christ works. That is not how the church works. See, when you sin, you not only hurt yourself, but you run the danger of hurting those around you. This is what the sin of idolatry does, this theology of me, myself, and I. It completely disregards those who are around us. And so this morning, we're going to look at that. We're going to look at that, and, and the hope is that you would leave here with uh, an understanding of, listen, this is important. This is important for me to know that my sin not only has implications for me, but it has implications for those who are around me. Let me give some context to what's going on before we jump in. See, there were two groups, two groups within the Corinthian church that Paul was addressing. Two groups that he was addressing. The one can be characterized as the licentious the licentious. These are those who are lacking restraint. Those who are parading, going, no, hold on, I can do whatever because I am free in Christ, right? I'm free in Christ, so I can do whatever. Yes, I know, as long as it's not sin, but there's a whole bunch of other things that surely I can do because I am free in Christ. They lacked restraint. He addresses them in verse 23 when he says, all things are lawful. See, this was a quote that, that, that was making its way through the, the church in Corinth, that all things are lawful. And so Paul agrees. He says, yes, guys, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. Not all things are helpful. All things are lawful. Yes, I agree with you, but not all things build up. See, what this group was doing, the the licentious, what they were doing is they were using theological truth, this theological, this beautiful theological truth of freedom in the gospel as license, right, there's that word, as license to do anything and everything they wanted with little regard for those who disagreed or maybe who struggled to understand why they did what they did. It was a basic, I don't care. I don't care that you've just come to Christ and that you're a young believer. I don't care that maybe you're on the fence and are wrestling. I I don't care because I am free in Christ, so I'm going to do whatever. This is what they believed. See, Paul had dealt with this. If you've been with us on this journey as we've navigated through 1 Corinthians, you would remember that Paul has dealt with this group. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12, where he says, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. See, they were using this to continue in their sexual immorality. They were going, but hold on, like God created the body, and so therefore surely we should be able to do this, right? In the same way that that the the stomach is for food, our, our organs surely are for sex. All things are lawful. And so Paul was saying, be careful, you're going to miss it. You're going to miss it. Be careful. So there was the licentious group. But then there was another group. There was another group. There was the, the legalists. The legalists. 
Paul addresses them in verse 25 and 26, where he says, Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. See, the legalists were, were this group of people who had created their own laws and principles and were going, listen, we need to live by these things. We need to live by these laws and principles. They, they weren't things that were found in Scripture. They were the, these kind of best practices, if you will. And they were going, hold on, we need to live by this. In fact, everybody needs to live by this. Maybe it was a principle that you had developed that you figured this might be helpful for me as I grow in my relationship with Christ, but this is what they did. They were like, well, if it works for me, then it must work for everyone else, so therefore everybody has to do it, the legalists. See, this group did not fully understand the freedom found in the gospel. They were applying their principles, not the principles of God, their principles to the community at large, as if it was a thus says the Lord principle. See, they would communicate it almost as if it, it, it's Scripture. Thus says the Lord, this is what we ought to do. The legalists. And in doing so, they were improperly binding the consciences of their brothers and sisters. Now, now we're going to use this word conscience quite a bit, right? And I know probably in here there, there are many definitions floating around. And I'm not saying that yours is wrong, but I want to make sure that we're all on the same playing field. And so I'm going to give you I'm going to give you my definition. What is conscience? See, the conscience is defined as that part of the human psyche that induces mental anguish and feelings of guilt when we violate it and feelings of pleasure and well-being when our actions and thoughts and words are in conformity to our value systems. Right? That's our definition. And so I'm going to say for the church, well, what is our value system? It's here. This is it. If you are a Christian, if you have crossed the line of faith, if you're trying to figure out, well, what is the, our value system? It's here. Everything that we need to know is here. See, the Greek word translated conscience in all New Testament references is sunedesis, meaning moral awareness or moral consciousness. See, the conscious reacts when one's actions and thoughts and words conform to or are in contrary to a standard of right and wrong. Like something goes wrong in us. That's the conscience. It's been awakened. And I believe we all have it. Every one of us. And I can say that because I know that we are all created in the image of God. You don't have to be a Christian to have a conscience. That's why even people who, who don't know Jesus or have not surrendered their lives to Jesus, they, they, they have a sense of right and wrong. I believe that to be common grace. It's because we are all created in the image of God that we have bits of God in us. And so we get that feeling. The question is, the question is, is what dictates your conscience? What directs your conscience? conscience. Think of it uh, as there must be a GPS that, that kind of navigates your conscience. A and I'll say that if you are not a Christian, if you have not crossed the line of faith, that GPS can be anything. Success, relationships, sex, chocolate, can be anything. You give yourself up 
to all these different GPSs to say, direct me. And it's chaotic. It may work for a season. It might feel like, well, success is taking me down the right path. But it'll always get you so far. In fact, it can only get you so far. But if you are a Christian, if you've crossed the line of faith, and I want to tell you this morning, your GPS is the Holy Spirit. Your GPS is the Holy Spirit. He's the one that directs and navigates and tells you this way and that way and do this and don't do that. But you know what some of us do? Let me not not say that because you all are perfect. You know what I do? I turn the volume up in the car so I don't hear the GPS telling me turn left, turn right because I want to do my own thing. That's what I do. And so I grieve the Holy Spirit. You see that in the Word of God. We see it over and over again. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. But sometimes I don't want to listen. I want to handle my money my own way. I want to handle relationships my own way. Sex, my own way. And so even though the Holy Spirit is going recalculating, 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 you just continue to turn up the volume because you don't want to hear it. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. It will not end well for you. And you will hurt those around you. Is that okay? We're all on the same page? Conscious? So Paul confronts the legalists. Remember, we're talking about the legalists now. We've dealt with the licentious. These are the legalists. He confronts their error by quoting Psalm 24, verse 1, where he says, For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. See, this verse was a prayer. It was a common prayer to the Jewish folk back then. So common that it was said probably at every mealtime, acknowledging that all that we receive belongs to God. There'd be food laid before them and they'd they'd cry out that everything, everything belongs to God and this is why we give thanks. And so he says to the legalists, guys, be careful. The the, the licentious, they're, they're, they're halfway right in that, yes, everything does belong to God. So be careful how you treat these things. Be careful how you treat these things, that they do belong to God, and so we should give thanks. There were legalists and there were the licentious. See, in today's church, we have both these groups. In today's church, we have both these groups. In fact, in Rooted, we have both of these groups. We have both of these groups. Those who say, listen, I'm free in Christ and I can do whatever I want because everything belongs to God, right? Yes and no. And then on the other side, you have the legalists. It's like, no, hold on, hold on. We need to be careful that we don't jump into sin. And so uh, maybe let's not do that and let's don't do this and don't eat that and don't go there. And none of it is in the scriptures. These are just best practices. These are things that we have established that will help us grow. Yes and no. Paul has a teaching for both these groups. He has a word for both these groups, and it's the same thing. Look with me in verse 24. He says, how do you navigate through this? Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. If, you, if you're in a church and you're wrestling through this, and it's like, oh, licentious, freedom in Christ, oh, legalist, what are we to do? Where are we to go? Let's go to verse 24. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. 
See, the legalists sought their own good and ignored the fact that their standards, remember, their standards of living and self-made principles were binding the conscience of their neighbors. They were seeking their own good, completely disregarding those around them. The licentious ones sought their own good and ignored the reality that their approach scandalized the consciences of their neighbors. They were seeking their own good. Paul says to both these groups, seek the good of your neighbor. Seek the good of of your neighbor, and in doing so, you will glorify God. It's that simple. But the reality is, we're dealing with human beings who are sinful, who, if we are left to our own, we will always choose ourselves, the theology of me, myself, and I. And so what appears to be simple actually is incredibly difficult. And so Paul gives an example. I believe he's actually speaking into a situation that was happening happening in the church of Corinth. Verse 27, he says, If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. See, in this one verse, Paul is saying, Separation to Christ, so for those who have crossed the line of faith, separation to Christ for those who are in Jesus, those who call themselves Christian. Separation to Christ does not mean isolation from non-Christians. It does not mean isolation from non-Christians. So, so for all the legalists in the room, and you know yourself, all the legalists in the room, listen, Our fellowship is to be with Christ. You're right on that. You're absolutely correct on that. Our fellowship is to be with Christ. And our friendship is given to those who don't believe. That we are to extend an arm of friendship to those who don't believe. Instead of trying to create this holy huddle that usually becomes a cult. Guys, very few cults start like, Hey, what are you drinking? Ah, uh, coffee. Ah, oh, it's a mass. Yeah, it's great. Hey, we should start a cult. Good idea. Let's go. Let's go into the desert and just do something crazy. Like, it doesn't start like that. It usually starts with these, these self-made principles, and it's like, yeah, we should live this way. Yeah, because the world, like, those guys don't believe, and, and it's crazy, and yeah, you know what? Let's, let's just remove ourselves from these, these broken, sinful people. Let's go to the desert. Yeah, I actually have some land out there, and we can pitch some tents, and you know, this is why I don't like camping. <laughs> We're like two steps away from starting a cult. Like, I just, I, I apologize. I, di- I, didn't, I didn't mean it like that. Uh, okay, gosh. I am going to get emails tomorrow. Um, Our fellowship is to be with Christ, but our friendship is to be given to non-Christians around us. And this is very important because Christians who refuse to do that are not only deceiving themselves or their understanding of the gospel, they are disobeying the very command of Jesus where he says, go and make disciples. You are disobeying. We are disobeying the command to go and make disciples. Because, well, the making of disciples starts with sharing the gospel through word and deed with those who don't believe in Jesus. That's how we make disciples. The process begins by sharing the gospel through word and deed with those who don't believe yet, those who disagree with you, 
those who are not like you. It doesn't happen through osmosis, which is saddening for an introvert like me, because I kind of wish that's how it happened, right? Just, you just, yeah, don't like camping. It's through proximity. It's through proximity. It's being around those who don't believe. Yes, they're going to do a lot of things that you don't do and that you believe in. They're not going to be like, I don't want to do that. That sounds ridiculous. Why would I want to wait? Why would I want to wait when I could have sex now? Why would I want to handle my money that way? That's ridiculous. We don't excommunicate those people. We engage proximity through engagement, through friendship. Paul says if somebody asks you, if someone who doesn't believe asks you, then go. They invite you to dinner, then go. But the thing is, nobody's going to ask you if you are uptight, self-righteous, and legalistic. If you're sitting there and wondering, oh, I wonder why no one invites me. Like, how come none of my non-Christian friends invite me over? You might be uptight, self-righteous, and a legalist. That's why no one wants to hang with you. You will only get them to invite you if you are open-hearted, friendly, engaging, understanding that all of us struggle. This is the beautiful thing about Jesus. There's so much to learn, so much to learn from Jesus. He was hanging out with tax collectors and prostitutes. These were people that were completely disregarded by the church. He didn't compromise. I'm going to get into that in a moment. He didn't compromise but he was open-hearted and willing to engage. He wasn't coming up with these self-made rules. He was like, no, 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 I know where I stand. I know what I believe. And so I can engage you lovingly. People will invite you. They, they will want to hang around with you if they can see that you understand that we all struggle and all of us are broken. When they see that you can see through the facade, big word, when they can see that you can see through the disguise, the smoke screens, the covering that all of us have, we show up on a Sunday morning like this and it's like everything is great, I'm so happy, when in reality inside you are hurting and broken and in desperate need of a savior. That's how many of you came to faith, as you realized that Jesus extended his arm of grace to you in your brokenness. And then somewhere along the line, you became this like, well, I'm perfect and I don't engage with those people. Ooh, they're broken. Look at that marriage. It's falling apart. Mm, I just don't get involved there. Is that how you practice your sexual understanding? Or orient? I don't, it's like, they are broken and in desperate need of a savior. Extend your arm of grace in the same way that it was extended to you. Not compromising, not compromising, remembering your commitment to Christ. So here's a word now for the licentious group. That we are not called to compromise. Verse 28, but if someone says to you, 
This has been offered in sacrifice. Then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you. For the sake of conscience, conscience, but I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? If someone makes it obvious that you're being tested, if someone invites you over and they make it obvious that you are being tested to see whether you're willing to go the whole way with the world, the culture of today, or whether you truly do belong to Christ, then you are to make the issue crystal clear. Paul says that you are to make it crystal clear. If someone's trying to test you, if someone's trying to test you, hey, do you want to come to this bachelor party? It's going to be at this gentleman's club. Like, why hide it like that? Like, a gentleman's club. Like, I'm going to show up and be like, oh, no, no, it's a gentleman's club, so it's okay. If someone's trying to test you, don't go, this could be a really great way to share the gospel. <laughs> if I go there, like, I'll keep my eyes closed, but I can share the gospel. Guys, <laughs> some of the stuff I've heard is, rid is ridiculous. If you can see someone's trying to test you, make... Make it crystal clear. Make it crystal clear where you stand. That's what Paul is saying here. He says, don't partake. Don't partake, licentious brothers and sisters. And I know that that word might come across as like, oh, licentious. Like, I'm not licentious. So, okay, let me be politically correct. Let me be politically correct. For those who believe that their freedom in Christ far outweighs their love and care for others. Is that better? It's better than licentious. For those who believe that their freedom in Christ far outweighs their love and care for others, for those who are willing to compromise because they want to do whatever they want to do. Be careful, Paul says. Do not go along with what they want you to do because they are making a test out of it or their own conscience may be troubled by it. That they might be young looking to you and going, okay, I'm not 100% sure how to handle this issue. Okay, because they're doing it, then it's okay to do it. Be careful. Paul says, be careful. People are watching. We're in community. You don't live in isolation. We're in community. So for their sakes, do not do it. Do not do it. Yes, your conscience might be clear, but you don't know. You don't know if they are wrestling, or if they are doubting, or if they are wondering. But let me say this. I know that the second part of verse 29, continuing into verse 30, where it says, for why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? I know that this portion is often taken to be contradictory to what Paul is saying or what he's just said. Basically, why should I exercise my liberty to eat or drink or whatever, and therefore stir judgment or disapproval from others. He's asking the question, why should I expose myself that way? So Paul is saying, brother, sister, yes, you are free in Christ to eat and drink and do whatever. He's, he's acknowledging that. He's like, yes, you are. In fact, you're free to do that and give thanks because you acknowledge that it comes from the Lord. He says, you, you can do that unless, unless, in doing it, you expose yourself to some judgment from someone with a troubled conscience. 
He says, it's okay. It's okay to say, you know what, I'm, I'm free in Christ. Because probably that was the question. It's like, I don't get it. Like, but if I'm free to do it, if I'm free to eat and drink and do whatever to the glory, like, to the glory of God, then, then, then why is this an issue? He says, yes, you can. And it does glorify the Father. In fact, give thanks for it. But be discerning. Be discerning. Look around. Look around. This is why context is incredibly important. I'll give an example. Here at Rooted Fellowship, some of our events will have cold, refreshing beverages of the fermented nature. They will, because of our context. And in fact, I will enjoy a cold, refreshing beverage of the crafted fermented nature. I'll take that amen. <laughs> but, but, if I, but if I go, if I go visit Smoo, right, who were helping to plant a church in Mamelodi, it's a different context. It's a different context. I, I don't just show up and go, man, I'm free in Christ. I can do whatever I want, right? I mean, I know I'm not going to get drunk, but I can do whatever I want because I'm free. In no, I, I need to be aware of the context, and that context is different because they, they just see alcohol differently because of what it does particularly in that context. And then on top of that, it's like, hold on, I'm showing up as a pastor. And so the, those around me going, well, hold on. Man, that, something must be wrong with that church. Or others going, oh, well, because he's a pastor and he's doing it, then it's okay for us to do it. But maybe they're not at the maturity where they know that, listen, yes, it's okay because it comes from the Lord, but excess is bad. Anything in excess is bad. Context is incredibly important. We are called to look around us and go, will this cause my brothers and sisters to stumble? Will it? Paul is talking about freedom, but within the limits of love. Freedom, but within the limits of love. It's loving. It's loving to go, you know what, I'm going to deny myself this freedom for the sake of others. It's a loving thing to do. Paul closes with a principle that can be applied for all occasions. Because it's challenging, right? It's like now you're constantly having to think through everything, like what I wear, what I eat, what I drink, what I do. You're just constantly having to think through all of this. Paul's like, okay, let, let, let me make it plain. Let me make it plain. Let me give you a principle that you can apply for all occasions. Verse 31, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. He gives us a principle that we can all apply in every occasion. What humility. What humility Paul is displaying here. What power. What power. And then lastly, what love. What great love he shows. Because, let me say this. I talk a lot about us wanting to be, and, and I believe God is doing something already, being a transcultural community, a community that reflects the diversity of our context, right? But, but by the power of the gospel transcends it. And so we're going to have differences. The more preferences you have, in a room, you run the danger of turning those preferences into prejudices. I say this all the time. 
And so, yes, this, this is an important message for the church. I believe we need to doubly listen. Is that a word? Doubly? It now exists. Doubly listen. Because of our diversity. Because you're constantly going to run into groups where you're going, man, that's, that's, that sounds ridiculous. I, why would you even want to do that? I don't want to do that. Hey, I'm free to do X, Y, and Z. Like, why, why are we doing that? Why are we practicing it this way? That makes absolute no sense. And so the temptation, the temptation is then to go, you know what, like maybe I shouldn't be here. Let me go find another community that looks like me, thinks like me, that's going to do exactly the same things that I love doing because it's just easier. It's just easier. I see transculturalism everywhere in the scriptures. I see it here. Why do you think Paul is having to address the issue of food? See, Paul shows up, shares the gospel, People cross the line of faith, both Jews and Gentiles. He could have gone, okay, I'm going to start a church just for Jews over here. And y'all could eat your kosher food as much as you want. Celebrate your Old Testament holidays as much as you want. It's going to be epic. And then on this end, I'm going to plant a church just for Gentiles, and you guys can have ribs until you die. (laughs) Pork ribs wrapped in bacon with bacon dust. Glorious. But But he doesn't. How do we know he didn't? Well, because he's having to handle and address the issue of food. It had come up because some of the Jews were going, but hold on, like, hey, man, like, why y'all, you guys know that the stuff's being sacrificed at the temple. Like, why are you bringing it here? Why are you bringing it to our city group? Why are you bringing that bacon here, buddy? Don't do it. Keep that bacon outside. And so the Gentiles were going, but hold on, Paul preached the gospel, and he said that we are free in Christ. And so, yes, the temple and these, uh, these gods, these false gods, I mean, they do absolutely nothing because we know that there's only one true living God. And so surely we could eat. So it becomes an issue, and so the desire is then to divide. I'm sure there must have been someone sitting there going, you know what, I'm sick and tired of this. You know what, let's just have a city group for Jews, have a city group for Gentiles, and then we can show up on Sunday together. Just you guys sit there, you sit there, we'll worship Jesus, we'll do maybe uh, this Sunday is the Jewish songs, and then this side is the Gentile songs, and maybe you guys don't have to come on this Sunday. You guys can go hang out, maybe go do an outreach just for you guys with just Gentiles. Like, I'm sure people were thinking that. How do I know? Because I know people here are thinking. It'd be so much easier. It would be. It'd be so much easier. I'll be honest. I'll be honest. It'd be so much easier. But we are called to a richness of the usness. A richness of the usness. But understanding that it's going to be challenging. I mean, I was going to say, do this by show of hands, but I won't do that because we're not. We're not. We're not all the way in charismatic. The spiritual gift series is coming, and I'm going to get most of you to come into this camp where you're amening and putting your hands up. I won't do that now. But, but I'm pretty sure, if I was to ask this question, how many of you guys came here because maybe you heard about what we're trying to do in terms of diversity? Or maybe you stayed because you're like, man, this is pretty cool. Like, I, I, I haven't experienced this before, right? I'm, pr- I'm pretty sure it's about 70% of you put your hands up. And then if I asked this question, I said, okay, how many of you at some point have wrestled with like, man, this is weird. Like, why are you guys doing that? This is uncomfortable. This is just stupid. Like, I would never do this. I'm pretty sure about the same amount of people put their hands up. We're called to navigate through that. And how do we do that? By seeking to glorify God. By seeking to glorify God. And Paul says it here. He says, give no offense to 
the Jews or the Greeks or the church of God. Let me contextualize this. Give no offense to those who don't know Jesus yet. Let the gospel offend. It'll do that on its own. Leave that to Jesus. Because you are not Jesus. Sometimes you're offensive to Jesus. Let the gospel offend. Preach the gospel. Say, hey, listen, the gospel calls us to live this way. Let that offend people instead of like you trying to, to be someone's savior. Give no offense to the Jews. So give no offense to the Greeks, to the church of God. Just as I try to please everyone and everything, I do not seeking my own advantage, but that of many that they may be saved. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Paul wraps up by saying, follow me as I follow Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. He and, and many other leaders in that time, many of the other apostles, had, they gave up so much of their freedom. They gave up so much of their freedom to help others. They put the good of others before their own desires. And in doing so, they made an incredible impact, not only in that generation, but 21 centuries later. Friends, we're here because many faithful men and women were willing to give up their freedoms for the sake of the gospel so that people would hear it and come to Christ. That there would be no barriers. There would be no barriers. The question is, are we willing to do the same? Will we be remembered as those who are not seeking our own advantage, but that of many? Why? So that many may be saved. This will require great humility, great strength, and great love because the tendency, the human tendency is to choose me, myself, and I and then to choose those who are like me. So how, how did they do it? How did Paul do it? How are we to do it? Because this is incredibly difficult. How do we have the single focus of seeking to glorify God? The answer is Jesus. The answer is Jesus. See, not only was Jesus their perfect example, not only did Jesus give up his freedom, he left heaven. He left heaven. He gave up that freedom to come and live among us, among his own creation, and then died for us so that we might be reconciled back to the Father and then reconciled to one another. What great humility. Philippians 2 talks of this humility. What great humility. But also what great strength. The strength to restrain yourself. To not feel that I have to say this or I have to do this. And then what love. Which drives both these. What love. To say, you know what, I love you. I love you so much because I want you to know Jesus or I want you to grow in Jesus. I love you that much. Jesus is not only our perfect example, but he's the very source in which we are able to do this. We cannot do it on our own. It is impossible. Left to our own, we will choose ourselves. If you hear nothing from this morning, hear that. Left to your own, you will choose yourself. And that is not a good thing. It is not a good thing. We're to choose Jesus. Am I my brother's keeper? Am I my sister's keeper? The answer is always yes.
It's always yes. Because I've been reconciled to the Father and reconciled to one another. Let's pray. And so, Father, with that, we, we come and asking that you would do a great work, a work that only you can do. That we are in desperate need of you. We are in desperate need of a Savior. And often we'll want to look to ourselves to be the solution to all the problems and all the brokenness that we see and experience. But we will never be enough. Our strength will never be enough. Our resources will never be enough. Our intellect will never be enough. It will always only get us so far. Jesus, you are our solution. And so help us as we try to navigate through this community, this beautiful community that you have called many of us into, and Lord willing, you will call many into. And not that it's just about us, that you would multiply this work that you are doing, that there are many others scattered around this nation and this continent and this world who are seeking to display you and the unity that we find in diversity. Help us to be our brother's keepers and our sister's keepers. Help us to lay down some of our freedoms for the sake of others. Knowing that one day we'll get to celebrate. One day, Jesus, when you fully return and fully restore, we will get to celebrate. And we'll think about those things that we gave up and how little they will be. Insignificant. So that we might be able to celebrate with so many Father, we love you. We praise you. Help us. In your name we pray.